We've always been really closely connected to the congregation here, and, and you guys are our, our extended family, and so it's a privilege to be able to preach God's word tonight. Um, I was assigned Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26, but I'm actually going to back up, and you know, now that I'm here, nobody can stop me, so um, I'm going to go back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, and if you could stand for the reading of God's word and bear with me as I deal with my vision problems here, so... Starting in verse 13, he says, uh, Paul says to the Galatians, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not uh, consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who, are, who, are, who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Please be seated. So we had a... Um, Leonard had to, our, our pastor had to go off last week uh, for a, a wedding prep, preparation for a, for a cousin, a wedding shower in Cleveland. And so I, I in order to not to break up his series, I went ahead and just kind of preached this passage um, in preparation for this one, for, for tonight. And I kind of came up with a title, I called it Walk, Walk Like a Man. And when I was joking with Leonard, I wanted it to become kind of like an earworm for people who remember the Four Seasons in Frankie Valley. That song, I don't want to necessarily leave you with, that, with only that, but if you remember the song, it's actually kind of ironic because he sings in a really high falsetto. So it's, uh, but it's, it's a famous song from, I think it's like early 60s and that sort of thing. But the reason why I wanted to think through that was that <clears throat> we have a tendency here to, or a tendency to misapply or misinterpret key passages, especially in Galatians. And there's a sense in which being, be, keeping in step with the Spirit has connotations for some as if there's some sort of mystical thing that you have to tap into and not all Christians have it. Um, and then there's also a lot of misapprehension about where the law fits with respect to the believer. And I need to give you some context here, which is why I backed up a little bit here, where Paul has started the, the letter 
um, to the Galatians amazed that they've left the gospel, that they've left aside the gospel teaching that he had provided for them, that he's, he, he's concerned that they have set aside things. And he actually sums it up um, in one verse by saying, have you, um, have you begun in the spirit that you are now being perfected in the flesh? And you have to understand that this, this flesh-spirit dichotomy is not, is not kind of a, um, a dualistic sense of where skin is the flesh, where you're doing everything according to human power, or the spirit where you kind of leave your senses and you just kind of get in touch with some sort of spiritual force. This is really a this is really one of spiritual dominion. This is one of where somebody's either in Adam and they're in the flesh. They're dead in their sins and trespasses. They're still under the power of principalities and powers. Or they have been set free that their flesh has been crucified with Christ. That the condemnation and power has, been, has, has died in Christ. And even as we're united by faith to him, we are then um, resurrected to new life. And so as Paul is proceeding through this, he's actually laboring to show that Abraham was not somebody who lived his life by the power of the flesh, by the power of his, his you know, inner being to be able to fulfill the righteous demands of the law. And he even goes so far as to contrast Ishmael and um, Isaac as Ishmael is out of, out, out of Abraham's loins, so to speak, and that he is, um, he's of the flesh. He's actually one who did very hard things. He was, he was one who was, you know, a, a great leader and that sort of thing. Isaac is kind of by supernatural birth and in, in a, in a real, real sense of irony, he compares those who are still kind of pursuing the law by the power of the flesh as being in bondage. The son of the bondwoman, the one who's truly in bondage, were the one almost comparing those Gentiles who have received Christ as being the ones who were the sons of the free woman. And that's kind of like fighting words because what, happen, what happens in a lot of cases in the Christian life or actually in religious life is that you do not have the power in and of yourself to choose to be an Adam or in Christ. You're born into the dominion of Adam. You're born into sin. Now, if you, were, if, if you were born into uh, Gentile lands, you were completely under its dominion and power. Darkness ruled everything in terms of the way people lived. They walked in the futility of their thinking. Everybody walked in, in, in those terms. And so when the Gentiles received this light, it was like a grand display of God's um, character because they didn't have the laws the Jews did. But make no mistake, the Jews themselves, even though they had received the word of God, it didn't mean that by by the, the, the mere reception of the law that they were necessarily brought from death to life. You could still be dead in your sins and trespasses and still be receiving the law as a sense of what that you would say, well, if I, per, per, if I do these things, then I'm going to be saved. I'm going to treat the law of God as a, a system of salvation as opposed to something that reveals God's holy character, reveals the fact that we're sinners, and then the need for somebody to actually provide some sort of um, relief from the condemnation under the law. And the law had sacrifices for sin. They pointed forward to what Christ would do. They pointed forward to his definitive work to take away the guilt and condemnation and the power of the law of sin and death. 
and the law could have could and was used by by believing Jews in a sense to guide them but never as a means for salvation because one who is dead in sins and trespasses can only receive condemnation can only be under the law as it were as a slave in fact as we've been going through the the book of Luke and our own congregation the the older brother represents um, this idea that Paul is trying to get to say you're no longer under the law because the elder brother treats being under the law as one of being an under bondage. He yells at his father even as they're celebrating the return of a son who's been found, a son who's been brought from death to life. And he's the, he's the paragon, he's the picture of the Pharisees who grumble at the Messiah, who grumble at the Son of God, who was receiving sinners and they use it as a, as a, as a term of derision that he's a friend of sinners and the the elder brother turns against his father in this parable and said all I all I've been to you this entire time is a slave to you everything that you did I asked and you've never thrown a party for my friends and that's what happens when the flesh receives this law as it were and Paul is trying to get this idea of legalism to say you cannot be saved by this the if you're dead in your sins and trespasses the only thing you have is Christ himself to be united to him by faith the only thing you have is the spirit to bring you into new life and he's he's pivoting now into this particular portion of Galatians chapter 5 because what happens to people if they even if they're in if if they're if they've received this gospel there can be a tendency to say all I keep hearing about is Christ did everything and Christ in this grace that's been received is so powerful as to do away with sin and the law can't save me so therefore it doesn't matter what I do you following me? It becomes a, it become, the gospel can almost become a, a reason for license. And you can actually misread Paul as even his critics did to say that he was against the law itself, saying Paul's against the law. And it's, it's almost like no matter how many times Paul says the law is holy and good, he's trying to say, no, the law has its purpose, but it can't save you. It can't be a means to, to, to uh, achieve the righteous standing before God. That's received by faith. And then once you've been received into Christ's um, bosom as it were hooked to his belt brought out from Adam's dominion into Christ's dominion now you have the power within you by the spirit united to Christ the power he's receiving to walk and to be sanctified in the person of your being to do to to achieve righteousness but prior to that you're dead in your sins and trespasses and you need the gospel so when he's talking here to the Galatians, he's reminding them of these two states. You either are walking by the Spirit in Christ, or you're walking according to the flesh. And those, those two oppose one another. There is, no, <clears throat> there is no happy medium between the two. There's no sense in which you're one or the other. Now, I have to clear up something here that, that um, some people have in certain... Um, uh, religious religious contexts where they believe that once you've received Christ that all sin in you is healed that all sin is purged all sin just goes away in the Roman Catholic Church um, baptism completely washes away all guilt and all power of sin within you and then you have to cooperate with grace to keep it from coming back this this kind of animal nature that's keeping you um, that's that's wanting to you to sin as long as you cooperate with it you're good to go you keep kind of building up your righteousness 
In more of a Wesleyan kind of Pentecostal charismatic sense, there's a sense in which people are constantly looking for sort of that time when they're going to let go completely. The Spirit's going to completely heal them of all um, an, an entire sense of ever wanting to sin again, and then they're going to be healed from sin, and all they're going to want to do is righteousness. And there's a sense in which um, perfectionism or, or perfection is, is, capable, is possible in this life. The reality, beloved, is that when Christ takes sinners, takes you as sinners, he takes you as sinners. He brings you into his bosom. The, uh, an, an analogy that a, a Puritan once used is that he took, he hooks you, unhooks you from the belt of Adam where you're walking around with Adam, guilty and sinner and a sinner, you're, you're filthy and guilty, and then he takes you from that and he hooks you to himself. No longer guilty because positionally you're in Christ, but you're still now, you still have sin throughout your entire members that Christ is now working by his spirit to, to sanctify you. And this expressed really well in our standards in terms of how that process works. But we are both, we are both righteous in Christ, but we're still sinners, but the reality is that in Christ, the dominion of sin has been conquered. By that, mean, that means that you're no, you're no longer under its dominion where you have to do what it says, but you are still tempted by its power. But because you're in Christ, it's not a power that has definitive power over you. And so when Paul is, is urging people to say, um, don't use your license as an opportunity to sin. He's basically saying to you, you are in Christ. What do you have to do with sin anymore? You see what I'm saying? Because sin and the devil and the powers and principalities will convince you that you should be doing these things and you have the right as in Christ to be appealing to him, to be crying out and by the Spirit saying, I do not want to be doing these things. Give me the power to resist these things. And in fact, you have every right to turn to your accuser and say, I know I still practice these things on occasion and I'm tempted by them, but I'm in Christ and I will no longer be named by these sins anymore because I belong to Christ. And he accepts me in his person as a sinner. He knows exactly what he got himself into. He's chosen all of us as his bride and he is, he is, he is sanctifying us. But he knows how filthy and how much we, he still needs to work on us. And so he still loves us and works on us. But positionally, we are not like the world anymore. We are no longer under, under its dominion, even as the things of the flesh, the, the list of things it calls the works of the flesh, um, you know, the, 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 the kinds of things, licentiousness, um, you know, greed, all the things that we're tempted by, these things are works of the flesh that tempt us, that cause us to, to stumble into those things, but we're no longer in, under its dominion. And we have every, we have, we have the ability in Christ to say no to these things, even as we cannot perfectly fulfill those. But we have, we are told to turn from them. And in fact, we are, we are constantly urged, as it were, to remember who we are to remember that we are no longer sinners, that we don't practice these things. And it's, it's, it's that the, the attitude shouldn't, should always be, should never be, um, how is it possible that I did that? Why, how am I, I, I must not be a Christian. 
The attitude should be, I'm a Christian, why am I thinking and doing these things? You see, that's what Paul is trying to tell you to do. He's not saying, hey, stop doing those things and then you can become a Christian again. He's saying, because you are in Christ, stop doing those things because it is now unnatural for you to be doing these things. You see what I'm saying? This is, this is what it means to be in the Spirit. It's not some sort of like amazing power that just kind of gets zapped if you say the right words, if you if you have invoke the spirit in the right way if you somehow like let your mind go and you just kind of get into an altered state of consciousness in fact the power of the spirit to me the power of the spirit all these things that people are always looking for the flashbang things the healings the tongues all these other things I was part of that even as a Roman Catholic I was part of it as a as a a, a Protestant that 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 stuff is like so weak compared to the power of Christ to help Help me resist sin in my members. I consider all of that other stuff that I used to strive for rubbish compared to the fact that I understand that I'm united to Christ, that he went to the cross to put to death the power of sin in my members, and then he united me as sinner. He knew what he was getting himself into when he, when he called me by the power of the cross to give me the faith to reach out to him by his spirit, and I cling to him in that power so that I'm able to say no to these things. Even though I fall into them on occasion, I can still still then turn back to the Savior and I know by by the Spirit that I'm forgiven and I'm able to turn to these things. And that the the solution to it is not to grovel in the sense that you're no longer Christian, but to kind of invest in the things, the fruit of the Spirit, singular, the fruit of the Spirit. And I don't know if you kids know the song, but it's like the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, love, joy, peace. <laughs> the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is singular. All those things come out of the Spirit. It's not like you have to say, well, I wonder if I'm going to get that fruit or the other. No, you're united to Christ and by His Spirit, all of these things are, are the fruit of what it means to be in the Spirit. And you have to be investing in those things. You have to be con- consciously saying no to the things of the flesh and turning to the Spirit by, by Christ's power to say, In this moment, right now, my temptation is to look in that direction. I'm going to turn in the other direction. Christ, by your power, help me to do otherwise. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be in constant battle, in constant armor. Not to be looking for the the remarkable moments, but to be walking through life in a sense of where we are as a body of Christ, pressing in together, to be saved together. It's not a singular salvation, but Christ is urging us as, as brothers together, as sisters together, to be putting to death the things in us, saying, this is this no longer characterizes you, these deeds that these works of the flesh, but these the fruit of the Spirit is what, what, what drives you. And is, isn't it interesting that what's happening in Galatians, in Galatia, is that they are biting and devouring one another, almost like tearing each other at, at, like, at wild beasts, because the people are urging them to say, hey, if you really want to get serious, you need to take on the, the laws of Moses, because they're falling back into this legalism, this idea that you're going to produce something by the power of your flesh, by the power of that which, which is in you to do these things. And Paul is saying, no, see what the fruit of that is? When you sow to the flesh, when you sow to the flower, 
power of the flesh, when you're not dependent upon the Spirit's work in you to produce the righteous requirements of the law, then what, what comes out of you are the works of the flesh because you have no power in and of yourself to do these things. I, I can't, I can't um, almost put this in the right kinds of words. I struggle so much to try and get this across to people. I keep struggling with this even as Leonard and I were talking about this past week. But it isn't even like, it's not even like an intellectual thing. I can't even, I can't even tell you um, how to exactly think because it's something that unless the spirit is in you by Christ's power to know that you're completely helpless to do these things except that you say, I want to walk in that direction and then he gives you the strength to do that, then you can't do it. And you're going to constantly be struggling by the power of the flesh, thinking that the only way that you can please the Father is to kind of take this on as a list of things to say, oh no, I'm doing all the wrong things. I'm, not, I'm doing all the works of the flesh, and I should be doing, uh, I should be doing the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's, it's really kind of re- recognizing that you have no power in of yourself except to be clinging to Christ and saying that Christ is stronger than the power of sin and death to continue to want me to do these things. And until I recognize that and I think of every moment as needing Christ's power by the Spirit in me to do these things and to be looking around to your neighbors in the church, your, your friends in the church, your brothers and sisters and saying, I need to encourage you as we're walking together because in the opposite of biting and devouring one another is walking in step with one another. It's being in a formation mark He's actually using the terms formation march. You know, and I don't know if any of you, I don't know, I think we've got some Marines in here. Some of you were in other services where maybe you don't have much, you know, had, had to do many formation walks and that sort of thing. But you have to actually, you actually have to learn. Some people, it comes naturally. Others, it's like, it's like torture trying to get them in step with one another. But he, the, the whole point is that we're all working together towards a common end. And the kinds of things that happen in a church often are that when we're trying to, to move together in a formation together as the Spirit is moving us in a direction in the progress of the kingdom of God, there's the things that are the obvious things. And we think of the sexual sins and we know that we know, especially as men, we struggle mightily with those things. And those things are devastating. And that's why they are on the top of the list. Because if you're a leader in the church or you're in, uh, uh, in, in a marriage, those things can shipwreck things almost right away. They can destroy the formation almost right away and, 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 and hurt a lot of little ones in the process. And so we need to be encouraging one another to continue to march in the right direction. Say, by the Spirit's power, put to death sin within you. I know, as Paul says, that I feel helpless to to want to do the things that I want to do. I want to do the evil at times. And Paul says, Christ is in me. I can do, by Christ, I can put to death that temptation. But then there are also things on the list. There's the envy, the backbiting, the gossip, and those sorts of things. There's the little comments and all those things that say, I don't know if I would have gone in that direction. I mean, like, the carpet over there and that color is good. Well, you know, the way that she wants to do that stuff, that's fine. Those kinds of things, like, death by a thousand paper cuts in the church as well. 
And it, it's, it's so easy to fall into those kinds of things, to not only do the, 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 um, the big ticket items, the big ticket items of, the sin, of sin, but the, the small things of where we think poorly of one another, we, we, um, we, don't, we don't encourage one another, we don't pray for one another, we don't urge one another on. Because, you know, one of the things, one of the analogies I've used before is that the, the you know, when you're in a formation, you know, say whatever you want about um, Marines, but they don't leave people behind that are falling out of formation. They circle back and get them. They pick them up. They don't just say, well, I guess they decided to be part of a different group. Now, sometimes it's not always pleasant for the person being urged on. And sometimes it takes some, you know, encouragement in the form of, you know, strong encouragement and that sort of thing. But it's a kind of concern to say nobody's going to be left behind. And that's the kind of thing. This is, this is not a you singular um, proposition here that Paul is urging us. It's a you plural that we're pushing together. And as you see people falling behind, as you see people in sorrow, sometimes you got to carry things for them because they need your help. When you see people discouraged or turning away from Christ, you say, no, Christ is that way. He's the captain and perfecter of our faith. He's the one that set the, the pace. He's the one out in front. He's the one making sure that as the gospel is preached that it's actually having its effect. He's the one who's praying for us that we would, that we would um, continue in the faith and that, we, that new people would come alive as they're hearing the gospel because we don't have the power except to express what the gospel is and he brings all the fruit by his spirit. He's the one reigning his church so even as your imperfect elders are making decisions for the church they're loosing and binding things and the church is continuing on and it's being, it's being purified by Christ so that this imperfect mass of us is pressing forward and Christ is making sure all of it happens but each one of us by Christ's power is pressing forward. We're encouraging one another. We're not accepting that that, that just because some temptations are overtaking us, that we are, we're, we're going to give in to them because that doesn't belong to us anymore. Hell has no dominion over us anymore. Hell did have dominion over us except that Christ came down from heaven took on human flesh for us, veiled us from his glory because it would, it would basically, we would have been, been, been consumed by his holiness because it's so bright and yet he came as a servant and he ate and received sinners and had a heart for sinners and he loved them and was patient and kind, kind because he knew that he knew the depth of human sin that he was getting himself into and he was not perfected as a savior until he had he had he had gone to the cross to die for his church because he had purposed for himself a church that he would have and he, he will not be content, will not be perfected in his current role until all of his church is gathered in and he's calling each, one of, each and every one of us by name and as a community to continue to press in, to continue to do these things. And there should never be a case in which we say, you know what, it doesn't matter that we sin. Because sin is our mortal enemy and Christ has put it to death. And so we, we, we continue to hate and revile the sin within our, ourselves. But not in a sense in which we, we hate ourselves because God loves us even as he's killing the sin within us. 
And so I don't know what sins that any one of you are struggling with. I don't know what, 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 what remaining corruption Christ is purifying. But I can tell you this, that the corruption that is in each of us has the power and the capability to commit any sin that you can imagine, that you can imagine would be the most reviling thing, that sin is still in you and is being purified by Christ. So none of us has a right to look down on one another based on the temptations that the corrupt flesh is 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 tempting us to want to do. And no temptation is, and because of that, no temptation has overcome any of you except that which is common to each of each of us. And so I want to encourage you not to be disgusted by yourself except only to turn to Christ because he's a perfect savior and he's able to turn, turn you away from those things. He en- en- enables you by his spirit to turn away from those things and turn afresh to him. Don't wallow in your sin. Don't wallow in your sense that Christ has no place for you. He's a friend of sinners and only those who recognize themselves to be sinners only know and, and know that they're purchased by him and he will he will not only continue to put to death the power of sin in you but will perfect you and all of us to the very end as the spirit causes us to keep in step with one another let us pray our father our god we thank you for christ we thank you that even as he is he is at the head of the column as we're marching together, as we're keeping in step with one another. Even as we are sometimes um, not falling in line as we ought to, and knows, he knows all of our imperfections. And he knows these things, and he has called us, and none can snatch us out of his hand. None has the power. And so we ask that you would continue to cause us to, to work by the Spirit, to keep in step with him to keep in step with that which you are calling us to and not to give in to the works of the flesh, not to act as if we are still under its dominion, but to recognize whose we are and who we are named by. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand and turn to him.